Hello and welcome to the Carriage House Planning Podcast. Uh, I'm Casey Folt. I am the founder and principal of Carriage House Planning. And uh, I want to be the first to welcome you to a new uh, audio format, podcast, uh, update, commentary. It's really going to be a blend of a whole lot of things. But uh, with the, the rise and the prominence of, of podcasting, it really affords us a, a really great uh, media to, to get ideas out and in front of you and hopefully in a format that's easy to uh, not only digest but uh, simple and convenient to take with you to be able to listen to when it works for you rather than an article that requires sitting down and reading or, or something similar. Uh, hopefully these audio updates are going to prove to be valuable to you. But um, without further ado, I, I think it would make sense to just lead in and you know not bury the lead here. Um, this was not the initial intended first podcast. Uh, the, the intent was actually to uh, do a, a, a podcast really a, a, as a forecast of what 2021 might hold for us and uh, highlight some of the major considerations with the incoming administration and how that may potentially impact the financial marketplace as well as your planning marketplace or the, the uh, financial planning uh, environment. <clears throat> but uh, there's been a few things that have happened that have come up that are a bit more timely and I thought, you know, there's no better time than now to get started. So I wanted to uh, use this as an opportunity to really dive into and, and I would say kind of um, unpack the uh, kind of fever pitch news story that seems to be going on, uh, at least in the financial news space, regarding the, the company GameStop, uh, excuse me, GameStop and their stock. Um, this, I think, would, would, it would be fair to say is, is also complemented by some news around the AMC movie theater chain. Uh, and, and thrown about in those news pieces, you'll hear uh, references to Reddit, you'll hear references to hedge funds, you'll hear references to uh, large market makers like Citadel, and um, you'll, you'll also hear uh, you know, notable names like Elon Musk and uh, Chamath Palapatai. I honestly don't even know how to say his last name correctly, so I'm not even going to try, uh, with all due respect to him. Um, but the the whole story, you may have read a little bit about it. You might have caught a glimpse here and there. What I really wanted to do, instead of rehashing the whole story through and through, is to highlight a specific aspect of the story that's getting very little to no media coverage that not only helps explain what may really actually be happening here, uh, but it, it will have consequences for any investor, for anyone who's planning their uh, financial you know, future, um, and, and looking to uh, take advantage of, of opportunities when they exist and also avoid risks. These, these types of things are going to impact that. Um, to give the quick cliff notes of the story, uh, what we really have here is we have a case of, of, a, of a classic investment strategy uh, that uh, is, is maybe not necessarily adopted by a lot of, of uh, retail investors or, the, or the, the moms and pops investors of the world. But on a more uh, institutional basis, a lot of times you'll find institutional investors that actually will uh, encourage 
a portfolio of heavily shorted stocks. Now, real quick, uh, a shorted stock is a stock that is um, actually sold today with the intent of purchasing it back later at a uh, lower price. So the intention behind shorting a stock would be uh, you intend that that stock is going to depreciate or decline in value, and you actually borrow it today from a, uh, a broker or an institution. You sell it into the market. You, you take those gains. You sit on them. Uh, and then when the stock declines, or uh, assuming things go as you planned, you would then be able to repurchase a stock at a lower price, return it to that broker dealer, whoever it is that, that you ended up purchasing or borrowing it from, and then the, the spread difference in price, you get to pocket. So <clears throat> something that's important to note here is anytime you're shorting a stock, uh, whereas in, in, a, in a purely theoretical environment, going long or, or buying an investment, uh, buying a stock as an investment for the long term, with the goal of it appreciating or becoming worth more, the idea behind it is, A, you're buying equity in the stock. I think that's lost on a lot of investors today. The The gaming of the markets has unfortunately hidden the real intention as to why you would want to own a stock, and that is to say you'd like to own the company. You want to be one of the owners who then participates in the uh, growth or, in the case of, of dividend uh, forward investments, you want to participate in the dividend payments of owning that particular company. But the idea would be that there's there's really no limit, uh, theoretically, to how high a, a various stock could go. Um, of course, you know there's there's plausibility and, and practicality that has to be considered, but it technically could go up infinitely. Uh, likewise, on the downside, uh, a stock can really only go down to zero. So whatever you invest, uh, you do have a limited downside. Even though it wouldn't be pleasant, um, it, it is at least limited. When you're shorting a position, because you're actually betting against the stock, in theory, you actually have unlimited downside. Uh, now, there's a, there's a key caveat to that, but with unlimited downside, the, the act of shorting a stock is inherently a riskier act. For that reason, a lot of retail or mom-and-pop investors don't participate in shorting stocks. Um, it requires advanced understanding of not only markets, but a, a deep understanding of the actual stock itself, um, which would give you the conviction that it would be prudent to short that particular position. I bring that to mind because I want you to keep that in mind as we consider the, the case for the GameStop and, and AMC and Bed Bath & Beyond and some of these other uh, highly shorted stocks. These are all stocks that entered into 2021 uh, with significant bets against them. A lot of major funds who have to disclose their positions uh, revealed at the start of the year that they were short these companies. Um, again, if they're going to be short that company, they have done a lot of research to lead them to that conclusion that that would be a prudent uh, decision. Now, the reason that it becomes a, a kind of a hot button news item is that a couple of things actually occurred, uh, specifically with the GameStop stock. Uh, prim the primary focal point would be uh, naming of a new member of the board who was the CEO of the Chewy uh, pet wares, pet food and, and dog toys, cat toys, etc. Um, online retailer. 
Um, the, the CEO of that company ended up joining the board of GameStop, and he actually uh, acquired, a, I believe it was a 10% position in the stock. So that, that signaled to markets in general that there's, this guy at least believes in what he's doing, or he just simply has so much discretionary money available that uh, taking a 10% position in a, in a fairly uh, depreciated stock really wouldn't be a big hit to him. But if he's going to join the board and he's going to buy it up, at least there's some interest there. Um, yeah, there were some, some mechanisms at work or at play in the early, early stages of this. But lo and behold, what really happened is uh, some retail investors caught wind of this and, and threw a online chat board on the Reddit social media uh, platform. They, these kind of um, what would be hobbyist investors, or perhaps some of them are in fact uh, investors for, for um, you know, a career, they, they got to chatting about this game stock and decided that they were going to try to execute a strategy um, that, that would be considered a short squeeze. And, and their idea is if they were able to pool enough of their resources and they were able to push the stock price of, of again, GameStop is the one stock that's getting the most attention, if they're able to push it up, what would end up happening is all these hedge funds or these institutional investors who are shorting this stock, they because they borrowed the stock to sell in the first place, whoever they borrowed it from is going to have standards placed on them. What you get is you get a margin call, and that is if... In the case of shorting the stock, if the stock price appreciates to a certain point and it would be set forth by the broker um, or the, the dealer that, that they've engaged with, it, once it reaches that certain point, the hedge fund would actually have to put up more capital and, and actually invest in the underlying stock. They'd have to buy back the shares in order to then further short the stock going forward. Um, and that is to say, if they wanted to hold their short position, if they're, uh, you know, months perhaps of, of research, they, they genuinely felt, hey, this is, this is going to go down in value. We're going to keep our short position. Well, in the interim, it might be going up quite a bit. And, and if these folks on Reddit had their way, which it turns out they did, uh, the stock price did go up quite a bit. Um, and, and that ended up leading to uh, these short squeeze occurring where these Big institutional investors, these hedge funds, actually had to go in and, and they had to buy up more of this stock. Um, imagine kind of the uh, the pain that might be associated with that. Not to say, let's be sympathetic to the hedge funds, because again, that, that's not the position I, I care to take either way. Um, but what I want to suggest is, if you've done all this due diligence and this research, you genuinely feel that the stock price should go down. All logic and and you know, uh, anecdotal evidence and and empirical evidence points to the stock should depreciate. Um, but it's just not doing that. It's it's in fact it's skyrocketing the other direction. Um, it's it's got to be a little bit insulting to have to put up more money to to buy more of the position that you that you actually are trying to bet against. Um, what ended up happening then with a few of these hedge funds, namely one, uh, is is that they they needed basically a capital bailout. They they didn't actually have the assets, uh, or at least the liquid assets, to to take uh, an additional position to uh, come kind of pay up on their on their margin call um, for for the sake of of the short position. So they ended up getting bailed out by some other hedge funds. Some other hedge funds basically invested in this hedge fund, and and you know the, again, there's there's a lot of nuance behind the scenes. I really don't want to get too deep into the weeds on that one. What what I do want to then focus on is that if that's the scenario that's effectively playing out, um, we've got this 
kind of amassed horde of individuals who, for the sake of an argument, let's just assume they really don't have a ton of capital as individuals. However, when they bind together, much the same as is the case with, let's say, like a mutual fund investment, uh, a mutual fund is basically a bunch of investors pooling their money together to access uh, percentage shares of companies or, or investments of, of various forms. Um, and, and, you know, kind of together they can be more impactful than, than as the individual investor. Um, that's, that's really kind of what happened. Uh, these guys got together on Reddit. They, they pooled their... Uh, resources individually uh, together and they ended up going in and, and buying up this GameStop and then again some other names as well. So as that happened uh, when the big institutional money uh, had to come to the table because they had to cover that short call or that that margin call uh, it, it then pushed the stock price up even further. So those investors who got in through uh, the various low-cost trading platforms like Robinhood, that's one you're hearing a lot about, um, kind of the, the focal point of this whole thing, but also the TD Ameritrades of the world on their retail side, not the institutional side. Uh, and full disclosure, um, my, my clients, uh, I, I, they do custody assets with TD Ameritrade, but we are on the institutional side, uh, not the retail side. So the TD retail side, which is where you can just go online, start your own account, that's another place where you know you can basically trade stocks for free. Um, Schwab is another, um, and and there's plenty of others out there. But uh, you know they went out, they they bought up the stock, and and you know with these short squeezes, the stock appreciates. And we had days where it was up 300 uh, percent in in a given day, which is is really astounding. Um, but it was at least for at the surface, it was a coordinated effort. Uh, on the part of the the small guy, um, so let's just say then we've got ourselves a case of a a war of of Main Street, uh, mom and pop of of small guy versus Wall Street. Um, you know the the corrupt villains, and and in, in in a lot of cases there very much are a lot of corruption. You know there is a lot of corruption. There are a lot of corrupt villains on Wall Street. Um, but that's at least, you know, that's not always the case. Uh, but in this in this kind of uh, saga, that's really how it's been painted. Now, things get really interesting when we take a look at sort of what has transpired after the, the culmination of these two forces impacting the stock. Not only does the media really jump on, uh, and, and, and use this as, as something that, that they can really bring to, to the, to the you know, everyday person. Uh, they bring this story and it, it, it's being positioned again as Main Street versus Wall Street or the small guy versus the big corrupt wealthy uh, whoever's of Wall Street. Um, that alone is going to be impactful because we are seeing again more uh, distrust, distaste for and um, a general zeitgeist, uh, a general wide-held belief. Basically, everybody on Wall Street is a bad guy or bad gal. Um, and that's not, that's not true. It's just that simple. It's not true. There are good people whose intentions are actually decent. They're morally uh, guided individuals. Um, but there are lots of corrupt individuals, and, and they have incentives that, that encourage their corruption. Um, and that's what they tend to do. 
But where things, I think, really took a turn for the worse is it started with the TD Ameritrade retail chain, uh, which if you're not familiar, TD Ameritrade was acquired by and is in the process of merging with Charles Schwab. So uh, TD made the first call and then Schwab followed soon after. And then this was uh, really, you know, kind of the, the, the crown jewel was when Robinhood made the decision. All three of these institutions made the decision to effectively limit the retail trading on these particular um, hot button stocks. Now, that then is twisted in the media uh, as these institutions are protecting them. You know, they're protecting their own. They're they're you know taking care of the hedge funds. You know, whereas they're blocking the retail client from pushing this further short squeeze. Meanwhile, the hedge funds are still out there being able to place their trades and, and basically get out of the corner. That's not really what was happening. And, and we're going to find as time goes on that there's more and more and more to the story. And, and my suggestion that I'll make today as to what's really happening behind the scenes is only a part of things. There's always going to be a lot more to it. There's never just one, we like these clean cut answers. There's never going to be one clean cut answer. But what I would suggest is a, and this is where it really is going to impact the average investor. What's really happening here is these institutions who have uh, offered to the public a, let's just say, a, a, a free trading opportunity. They are now facing what would be the the ultimate consequences of a commoditized business. They were going after the pricing game. They were looking at basically making it so that trades would not require a commission. And that's great. That's not a problem at all. I think that that's a great thing in general. And that's a beauty of technology, frankly. More often than not, when you bring a, a technological advancement into any industry, it, it, it does often reduce costs long term. So it's great that we've got these technologies and these institutions that have managed to create an environment where uh, the average person can buy and sell securities um, without cost. But there's there's a downside to everything. Nothing is is you know without fault or without flaw. And and in this case, there's there's two major issues that come to mind. Uh, the first is. It increases the velocity of trading. Uh, people are less um, inclined and they're less motivated to, to sit on a position or to buy investments, proper investments, not speculation. The other side of it is, is these institutions are still going to have to make money. They still have got to uh, find a way to, to turn a profit. And, and more often than not, what they end up doing is they end up selling their trades off to a market maker uh, as, a, as a first uh, first execution. So instead of actually going into the marketplace, they they offer or they have arrangements with various market makers to say, hey, can you execute this trade that my uh, client, you know, our, our retail client here, Joe Smith, has just placed on his iPad. Um, and he wants to sell 10 shares of, of you know, insert stock here. Well, the, that, that market maker gets first pick. They get first dibs and they say, sure thing. You know, right now we're seeing a bid ask on this stock of of you know 1001 to 1005 and and we'll execute it at 1003 and and if that that falls within the parameters of the sale order they get the trade what what you know the the retail investor who initially placed the trade he doesn't necessarily have access to all the different marketplaces where he could sell that stock so 
he doesn't necessarily understand that there's uh, an arbitrage opportunity. An arbitrage opportunity meaning that market maker can do those 10 shares. They've got the stock on hand or, or they've got the resources on hand to buy it back from him or sell it to him, whichever side of the trade he's on. And then what they can do is then they can go and shop the markets and look for the better deal. Or they can take a little bit of time. They can sit on that thing for a little while and then go and place the deal into the marketplace if they want to. Or they can just hold it in their inventory. But either way, they have profits that they can make uh, by just pennies, just you know, micro pennies uh, per transaction. But they're doing so many of them that it really adds up. Uh, and all the while, the uh, the broker, the retail trading uh, uh provider, uh, the, the again, Robin Hoods or whoever, they're making a profit because these market makers are paying them for this kind of first right of refusal. So if we take it another step further, one might then wonder, well, we hear that, you know, the Main Street investor really doesn't have enough oomph behind them to move markets the way that an institutional investor would. You've heard of names like Bill Ackman, maybe, or, or, um, I'm, I'm trying to think of some of the, the hot button names that often get touted where they'll take a, a position in a company and it really moves the, the needle significantly just overnight. Um, that, that really doesn't happen with the retail markets. Um, even if they're all on one side of a trade, even if they all like one specific stock. Where it does become uh, influential or impactful is when we look at the nature of our current marketplace. And again, this is where I want to bring it full circle to how this impacts you. We have been living now in a world for about 12 years of artificially suppressed interest rates. And that goes all the way up to the Federal Reserve and their incredibly easy monetary policy. Easy meaning it's easy and cheap to access money. That's what rates that are held low, that's all they do. It makes it easy to get your hands on money. Now you take that a step further and you look at the government, the treasury, printing dollars, and then because that would be debt in effect, because that's the way the treasury would, would be able to print additional dollars is they have to issue debt, that debt is then purchased by the Fed, the Federal Reserve. So it's it's like, you know, don't worry about it. I'll just uh, issue myself a loan and pay for it with my own money that I just made up. I mean, it's it, it, it sounds like I'm oversimplifying it. It sounds like I'm making a silly joke about it. But that's really what's happening. That, that's, that's, it's just that simple. Yes, there is uh, additional layers of complexity as to how it's explained, but that's what's happening. Now, <clears throat> if money's easy for institutions to borrow and sell, that just means that it's, they can offer pretty easy money to you and I without a lot of risk because they can go and borrow money for next to nothing, if not nothing, and then they can then lend money to you for at least a little bit more than nothing. So they're able to make a profit. One of the ways they do this, one of the ways institutions will do this, is they will extend to investors a concept called margin. Now, I mentioned earlier on the short sale side of things, margin. That's a big term. What margin means is it's borrowed money that you invest with. Well, if the short sellers and the institutional side are using effectively margin, to borrow a stock, sell it into the market, buy it back later at a lower price, all these retail investors, when they set up their Robinhood accounts and whatever else it was, even if they've never invested a dime in their life, even if they're 21 years old, they just got a gift from grandma and grandpa because they graduated college and they're going to go and blow it all you know, on the 
the what they see as the Vegas lottery, known as a stock market, they go in, they say, hey, I've, I've got myself $100 here. Uh, Robinhood day one will say, well, you want more? We'll give you margin. You, you can trade with our money, basically. And if you make money with it, you keep the gains. Okay, great. What you know, new investor is going to look at that? And I mean, of course, the pragmatist in, in me says somebody should go, there's no such thing as free money. However, no, most people don't unfortunately see it that way. They look at it as this is all opportunity with no risk. That's not what's really happening. But here's the catch. They do that over and over and over again to a lot of different people. And if it just so happens that all those people align their instincts by one way or another and all invest using that margin and their own dollars into a given stock, that's where things get funny and they get very interesting. And that's where we are right now. When these institutions issue margin to investors, what they're betting on is they're betting on the A, the investor uses that margin to invest in a variety of stocks, more often than not. And because of that diversification, it's highly unusual that uh, an entire portfolio would effectively, you know, buckle and turn to, to next to nothing overnight. It's, it, would be, it would be very unusual. Well, if there are multiple investments in the portfolio that might work. But if everybody's targeting just one specific stock, a stock which on a fundamental basis really has no place in the future world, it's, it's, it's not long for this world. Um, that's where things break down for that institution. That's where the uh, kind of the, the ring of power shifts from the hand of the institution, uh, lending money and saying, hey, if your account value goes below our margin requirement, you have to fund it back up. Well, if this is the only money that these investors have, they put it all in, and the intention of the institution would be if this stock sells down to a certain point, well, then we do a margin call, they put more money in, or we close out their account, they have to sell all their positions, and we take what we need, and we make good on ourselves, we're fine. But, if you have everybody, in, or at least a large portion of your investors, all investing in one stock, and they're using margin to do it, if that stock, that single stock blows up overnight because of the concentration level, and if something, anything, and I don't care what it is, it doesn't matter what it is, if something causes it tomorrow to invert its recent performance, to go from 0 to 300% in a day performance the other way, what you end up doing is you end up getting not only a margin call, but more often than not, the investors won't be able to fulfill. So then they go to sell the stock. Well, again, if the stock's already imploding because, again, they only own the one stock, that's going to further foment additional implosion or, or declines in that stock price. So as it goes down more and more, their ability to fulfill their margin requirement goes, goes up or they're not able to fulfill it. And it gets to the point where potentially... Those investors' accounts go to zero as far as their money, their initial invested dollars that they brought to the table are concerned. The only thing left in the account is margin that can't be covered. Now the institution is sitting there with stock that they probably don't think is a good investment long-term anyway, but they're sitting there holding it. And it's all because they lent out money 
all willy-nilly because it was just easy, free money to them, and they never would have expected it to come full circle the way that it has. So what they do is they restrict the trading. They are protecting their own butts from getting saddled, holding a stock that is effectively a worthless stock that is not going up because the company is worth investing in. It's going up because a bunch of people coordinated their efforts and they pointed all their guns in one specific direction and they all fired at one time. When they run out of ammunition, something is going to happen. And, and the question is, is who can get away fast enough? And more often than not, the institution will be the one that can withstand. They don't have to run away. But while everybody else ran away or is left destitute, the institution's holding a bunch of stock in something they don't want to be stuck holding. So that's, I think, the hidden message behind this whole thing is this is a symptom of our easy money policy that we have bred into not only our marketplace, not only our government, but now it's starting to show its ugly head because it's bred into the next generation of investors. No one thinks about the cost of borrowing. We live in a world today where borrowing against your future self doesn't have ramifications. Whereas once upon a time, you realized if I save for something, in theory, one, I should be able to actually make a little return because I'm saving my money. I'm depositing it in an institution who can then lend that money to, let's say, a business. And in turn, they're going to pay me a small coupon. So my savings account gets a little bit of an interest rate return. So I make a little bit of money. And then when I get to the point where I've saved enough to buy that thing that I'm looking to buy, I, it's actually going to cost less, barring inflationary pet pressures. And that's because... I ended up receiving a rate of return on my savings. <clears throat> if you go the other way, where you borrow today for something that you want today, you're not willing to save for it, you pay for it over the longer term, and you end up paying more for it because you end up paying interest. And more often than not, the interest you pay is going to be much greater than any interest you would have otherwise received on the savings side of things. But we've got a world now where that is the go-to. For that reason, we really need to remain skeptical and very aware of the inherent impacts of what we're seeing happen in a bit of a vacuum right now. We're seeing this entire story of e what happens when easy money gets hypercharged, it gets pushed into a system, and then the system effectively can't handle it. The bigger picture, it's going to happen slower. But we will reach that critical mass. And at that point in time, things are going to have a fairly aggressive implosion. And the question becomes then, what do we do at that time? Now, there are a few answers that we can put on the table. But for the time being, I want to simply focus on, A, highlighting the case for what's really happening in this, again, GameStop, Robinhood, Reddit saga. But I also want to simply highlight there's no such thing as free money and there's no such thing as free. There's always a cost of some form or another. It just may not be a financial or a fiscal cost. It may come as a cost of time. It may come as a cost of effort. It may come as a cost of a variety of many other things. But there's no such thing as truly free. So if you're ever presented with something that sounds free, what you need to be doing is not thinking in terms of the dollars in your wallet. But think in terms of 
where are the costs that are going to come from this free thing? So I know this has been a little bit of a, a maybe a, a less than optimistic first podcast. I hope that's not what you take away from it. What I really hope that you take away from this is there's always a little bit more to the story than what you're reading. And uh, ultimately, uh, it's my job and, and, and the job of, of my peers as, as financial planners, as investment experts, as individuals in a marketplace helping people just like you take steps through their financial journey that put them on track to re- eventually find and, and uncover what financial freedom means for them. We're here to navigate the road ahead alongside you. And if you don't feel like that's currently what you're receiving from your current professional, or if you don't have a professional and you're starting to realize how impactful one can be, please don't hesitate to give us a call. You can find us on the web at www.carriagehouseplanning.com. Um, and, and we would love to have the opportunity to talk with you and see if there's anything that we can do to help you achieve your financial freedom. Until next time, have a great day, and I'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye.